Good morning once again. Welcome to church. Glad that everybody could be here. I'm, my name is Mario. If I don't know you, I haven't met you yet. And I want to thank you for worshiping today here at Randall Church. We are continuing our series through the book of Nehemiah this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of the Bibles that's there in front of you. And you can turn to page 514. But Nehemiah chapter 9 is where we're going to be at this morning. Sorry, page 512. This morning as we get started and as you, as you turn there, I want to ask a couple questions. Um, you know, the other day I went to Starbucks and I got my first pumpkin spice latte of the season. <laughs> right? We're in that time of the year now where, um, where smells and flavors and scents bring, remind us of the holiday season and remind us of the, the, the season that, that's upon us. But do you have something in your mind, a, a memory? Uh, do you have a, a photo? Do you have a song? Maybe a smell? Maybe something that, that, that makes you remember something in your life that recalls a memory. It could be a good memory. It could be a bad memory. But uh, just an, the idea of, of, being, of remembering something that's happened previously in your life, an experience that you had. I got a photo that um, the, the tech crew is going to put up on the, on the screen here. This is... Um, this was taken in 2008. There's my lovely bride, Denise. And there's Josh and Carly. Look how cute they were back then. Oh, they're beautiful. And this picture is in front of Graceland. Um, and it, obviously, Denise is holding a picture of Elvis there. Oh. <laughs> and I want to explain this picture a little bit because it seems kind of odd, right? Um, I don't know. Some, in about, somewhere in the 2000s, I, I, I got an Elvis uh, CD or a record, and I started listening to it, and I was like, oh, this guy's really cool. And, and my mother-in-law had this picture of Elvis. It's like a, one of those old school, like, it used to be a, I don't know, like, it's not felt. It's just this old school picture. And she gave it to me, because apparently now I was an Elvis fan. And when we traveled from California to New York City, uh, we, we drove. Uh, I, for everything else that we put in the minivan, I made sure I brought this picture of Elvis with me. <laughs> and the reason being because I knew we would go through Memphis and we'd be by Graceland, and here it is, Elvis in front of Graceland with my family. Of course, I'm taking the picture, so I'm not in the picture. But, um, you know, it's just kind of funny when I think of Elvis, and, and when you, some of you see this picture, you may think of a song that you know from Elvis that he sings or... Or it may, you know, again, just that idea of remembering and thinking back to the time in your life of some significant event. Uh, you know, what, again, whether it's a picture, a song, um, a candle that has a certain scent, you know, mama's home cooking, something like that. We always, things come to our mind. You can take Elvis off the screen now. <laughs> well, this morning as we dive into Nehemiah, in a sense, what Nehemiah is telling us to do and what the scripture is telling us to do is to remember. Now, several weeks ago, Pastor Brian spoke uh, on Nehemiah also. And, and his message was really about God remembering. And in that particular passage that Brian uh, spoke about, the, the idea was that Nehemiah and Ezra and these people of God who were serving the Lord, they, they asked God to remember and, to, um, and to, to redo the things that he had done in the nation of Israel and, and to look on the enemies of God and to remember the enemies of God and their sin and to bring judgment upon them. And this morning as we look at Nehemiah, the tables are, are turned for us. This morning, we're not asking God to remember. We are telling ourselves to remember. This morning as we look at the scripture, 
we are telling ourselves to remember, to reflect back, to look back on the glories of God and to think about those things that God has done in our life and particularly for this passage of scripture in the life of the Israelites during this time. To look back on those things and to remember what God has done. As we take a look at Nehemiah chapter 9, I want you to know right off the bat that this chapter is dedicated to remembering the glories of God even though the nation of Israel had sinned against God. And so as we approach this text this morning, you need to understand that there's, there's this um, attitude of repentance that the Israelites come to God with. There's an attitude of remembrance. There's an, a, there's an attitude of, of um, solemnness that they come to as they approach this passage of Scripture. So let's just jump right into what the Word of God says this morning. Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their place and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. They stood before, they stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. As our passage opens this morning, we find the nation of Israel who had returned to Jerusalem, standing before the Lord, opening the word of God, confessing their sins, and crying out to God for forgiveness. How do we get to this place in the scripture? How do we get to this place in the word of God? Well, by way of review, and this is something that we've been talking about for the last several weeks in terms of the storyline of the Bible, the narrative of the Old Testament. You see, what happened is that the Israelites had been told by God to seek him, to follow him. And unfortunately, what happened is that several of the Israelite kings turned their hearts away from God, and God sent the Babylonians to take the Israelites in captive, and the Jerusalem was destroyed. As the years went on, we, we learned that uh, that. Persia, we learned that Assyria also took over the nation. And so at this point in the scripture, the nation of Israel has been taken to Babylon, and a few thousand of them have been allowed to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, and at this point to start rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And so it's not like the whole nation is there uh, standing before God. It's, it's roughly about 50,000 people out of all of Israel are there. And they realize the sin that they have committed and they are standing before God as it says here in these first beginning verses. And they are confessing and they are reading the word of God, the scriptures, the Old Testament. This morning if you've got your hand out there that's in your bulletin, your first point that I want you to write down is that repentance produces a correct attitude of worship. Repentance produces a correct attitude of worship. It is clear from these passages of scripture in Nehemiah that the Israelites that are here are, are in a repentant state. They have come to God realizing that they have sinned. They've, they've realized that they have come before God not worthy of his grace. But yet what do they do? It says here in the first few verses of chapter 9 that they come before God fasting, wearing sackcloth, and having dust on their heads. If you remember from last week's message, uh, the Israelites opened the book of the law of Moses and they began celebrating the Feast of Tabernacle. It was a very important feast 
that the Israelites were told to celebrate. In fact, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, what happens is that the Israelites begin re-celebrating these special days, these holidays, these festivals that they weren't able to celebrate while they were in captivity. You see, what happens is they realize that they need to have the correct attitude of worship, like our slide, like our first point is. Is when you come face to face with God, there's some things about worship that God expects from us. And for the Israelites in our passage here, it was the attitude of, of renewing those celebrations. Now, if you notice here in verse 1, it says on the 24th day of the same month. What month would that be? Well, chapter 8 tells us that it's the seventh month of the Israelite calendar. The seventh month of the Israelite calendar was three things were supposed to happen during that month. One, they were supposed to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, which they did in the previous chapter. In this feast, they were supposed to erect tents and live in these tents as a remembrance of God, what God did as they went through the wilderness under the hand of Moses. The Bible also says that during the seventh month, they were supposed to celebrate the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a day where the nation would come before God in repentance and confession. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically say in chapters 8 or 9 that they celebrated the Day of Atonement, but you can see from these passages here in the opening verses of chapter 9 that that attitude is there. You see, they remembered what they needed, what God required for worship. They remembered what God required for his name, and that produced in them a correct attitude of worship. Now, I get in trouble in my house because Denise always asks me, what day is your mom's birthday? What day is your brother's birthday? What day is your sister's birthday? Now, is anybody going to confess with me that you don't know all those dates in your family, right? <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? I honestly, I, I mean, I know some of the dates, but I couldn't tell you the year. Like, my brother, I, it turns, I think, 51 this year. I couldn't tell you what year. I'm going to have to calculate it, but off the top of my head, I don't know what year he was born, you know? There's just something about, maybe it's just because I'm a guy and my wife takes care of that calendar part of our life, you know? Like, that's just the way it goes. Um, but I think some of us can relate to that, right? We just kind of live our life where we're like, oh, yeah, it's just another day on the calendar. Uh, it's just another day that's happening, you know? Well, hey, in this passage of Scripture, what's happening is that God is working in the hearts of these people, and they are drawing close to God again in repentance. And they're remembering what God required for their worship. They're remembering what God required for their worship. I want you to understand that it's not necessarily in this chapter about an act or a ritual, but it's about an attitude of their heart. They're realizing that after all these years in captivity, after all these years not being able to worship God the way the Lord prescribed, that here we are in Jerusalem, here we are with a temple, with sacrifices being reenacted, we can actually participate in what God has called us to do. Did you know that there's a correct way and an incorrect way to worship God? Did you know that? There's several instances in Scripture where people worship God incorrectly. Some of you are familiar with these. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, Eli's son, they incorrectly worship God. They take of the sacrifices incorrectly, and God punishes them. 2 Samuel chapter 6, when the ark is being transported back to Jerusalem, what happens? It's on a cart. There's a young man 
who sees that the cart is slipping. He goes to touch the ark to push it back on the cart. And what happens to him? He dies. There's a correct way. There's a wrong way to worship God. Later on in Nehemiah, when Nehemiah returns to, back to Jerusalem, he, he realizes that one of the enemies of God actually begins to use the temple storehouses, this temple rooms, for his own personal use. And this ticks Nehemiah off. So what does Nehemiah do? He kicks all that, kicks all that guy's stuff out and says, go find somewhere else to put your stuff. It doesn't belong in the house of the Lord. There's a right and there's a wrong way to worship God. And, and today, as we think about the idea of repentance and the idea of returning back to God, it's so important that we understand that we need to have the correct attitude towards worship. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 2, listen to what it says. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their place and confessed their sin and the wickedness of their fathers. You see, previously in, in the book of Ezra, it was discovered that some of the Israelites had began to marry uh, individuals from the different nations that God had told them to conquer, the Canaanites, the Ammonites, Jeb, uh, the, the Moabites, the Ammonites. And God specifically warns the nation, when you enter the land, do not marry any of their women. Do not give your sons to marry any of their women. Why? Because they're going to turn their hearts away from God and start worshiping these false gods that these nations begin to worship. There's a correct way to worship. Solomon fails to obey God. And if you read in 1 Kings chapter 11, it says that when Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been. Now listen to what Solomon did. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for the god of Moab, for Molech, the god of the Ammonites. He did the same thing for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. You know, we really don't get the, the, the brunt of what's happening here. Uh, Solomon goes and builds high places. He builds altars for these foreign gods on the mountains east of Jerusalem, it says. We read in the Bible that the god of Molech, the god who Solomon built a temple, uh, uh, an altar for, we read that the God of Molech sacrificed children. And this is why God says you shouldn't intermarry with these other nations because they're going to turn you away from the Lord. There's a correct way to worship. Now, it's very important that we, we put a little caveat here. This verse isn't talking about racism and being discriminatory. This verse is all about being yoked equally with individuals who are of the same faith with you and making sure that we honor God in our relationships, we honor God in the way that we live, that there is a correct way to worship him and to honor our life. And there are many stories of individuals who have not gone down that path and have maybe dated or married a non-believer in our, in our world today, and they can probably confess to the fact that it's hard for them to do that and to live in that situation. But I want you to know this morning, as we look to this, the Israelites here in this passage, God tells them, I need you to worship correctly. And what is their response? They through repentance, begin to worship God the way God prescribes for them. Moving on, as we look at the rest of the scripture, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 3. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Now, your second point today is that repentance renews our commitment to God's word. 
Repentance renews our commitment to God's word. We won't spend too much time here because we, we've taken, uh, last week was a great sermon where they, we, read, we read, they opened the word of God, they realized their sin, and they began turning to the Lord. But we see it happening here again. As they open God's word, what's happening? Their eyes are open. They stand in confession. They stand in worshiping before the Lord their God. Do you realize how important God's word is in our life? And when you are able to turn to the Lord and make your eyes directed towards him and to seek him and to serve him, and you begin to read God's word and you begin to study God's word and know God's word and quote God's word and live God's word in your life, it changes you. It transforms you. And it only happens when we turn and look to the Lord and we draw close to him. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces our bone and our heart, our marrow. It reveals the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. That's the power of God's word. And that's exactly what's happening here in the life of the nation. This is what's happening in here in the life of the nation. They're renewing their commitment to God's word and to be faithful to God's word. We want to be faithful to what God has said and be faithful to what God is doing because he's revealed it to us in his word and God is blessing them and God is working in their life here because they're making that commitment to him. As we move on through the scripture, your third point this morning is that repentance restores our perspective of God. How do you see the Lord this morning? How do you see God in your life? Is he the Sunday morning thing or is he your entire life? In this chapter, as they begin to worship in verse 5, listen to what it says. Stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give them life, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. The nation's prayer of repentance and confession begins with what? Declaring the glories of God, declaring his greatness, his majesty. In fact, from verse 5 through verse 37, the, the writer of this text uses multiple words to describe the glories and the greatness of God. Are you ready? Because we're going to go through them. He says God has a glorious name. He says God is holy. God is creator. God is worthy of praise. He is just. He is right. He is good. For Pastor Milo, he's the provider. He is miraculous, for he's a forgiving God. He's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, spirit-giving, sustainer, deliverer, rescuer. Is anybody here this morning? He is patient, because we're not done. He's patient. He's merciful. He's a great God. He is mighty. He is awesome. He is a covenant keeper. He is righteous. He is faithful. Can we bless God this morning? Can we thank God this morning?
I'm not making it up. This is verse 5 through 37. Read it for yourself. If we're going to repent and praise the Lord, we need to acknowledge who he is and his greatness and his glory. Man, that's a beautiful thing to stand and to declare the glories of God. That's my God right there. That is my God right there. Amen. The goodness and mercy of God in these next few verses is displayed to us through his covenant relationship to Israel. You see, what happens is that the prayer that happens from verses 5 through 37 recall for us the work of God amongst the nation of Israel and how God had all along sustained them, provided for them, uh, made a covenant with them. And the writer here begins in verse 7 by talking about Abraham. And he says, You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. Amen. But he says here, you made a covenant with Abraham. Again, he's reminding the nation that God has done a work in their life. And it began with creation. It moved on through the covenant with Abraham. And then he goes on in verses 9 through 14 and speaks about Moses. Listen to what he says in verse 13. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them, the people from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. As they remember the greatness of God, now he calls them to remember the work of God in their life as they were in the wilderness being led by the hand of Moses. And then he goes further. Verse 28 through 31, which we'll focus on in verse 28, one small verse, he says to them, after their wilderness wanderings, he says, as soon as they were at rest. You know, the Bible says about David in 2 Samuel, that when David had, rest, had sat down to be king, that God gave him rest from all his enemies. And David desired in his heart to build a temple for the Lord. And God had other plans. But the point being, that idea of rest. Remembering what God did in David's life. In these passages, we have the example of Abraham, the example of Moses, and the example of David and how God worked in their life. And how God, being the great God that he is, the provider, the covenant keeper, how God worked in their life and how God moved. But yet, at the same time, something dark happens. In this same passage of scripture, verses 5 through 37, listen to how God describes the Israelites. He calls them arrogant two times, stiff-necked twice, disobedient three times. They refuse to listen. They are forgetful. They are rebellious two times, idolaters, blasphemers two times, murderers, evil, sinful, stubborn, and wicked. It sounds like my children. I'm just joking. Okay. (laughs) I love you. 
right? You see how there's this contrast happening here between the great God of heaven and earth and the Israelites. And if we're being honest, the Israelites, that could be said of any of us today in our, in our life, right? The great God of heaven and the sinful nature of man. In fact, the Bible says that in Romans. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As you think, I want you to think about that for a minute. The contrast that is given in this passage of Scripture. When we think about having a right perspective of God. The great and glorious God of heaven and earth and yet sinful man. You know, if I can kind of go back to Elvis for a minute. <laughs> kind of weird transition. Um. <laughs> You know, Elvis had, um, I believe Elvis had 50, he made 50 or so albums in his lifetime, right? Like actual albums, records, um, CDs, whatever you want to call it. Um, he had, he had a, lot, a big catalog of music, you know, a lot of soundtracks. Um, he was in a lot of movies, a lot, probably everyone here could mention one Elvis song you've heard somewhere along the line, right? Um, Elvis, for everything that he did, being the entertainer, the king of rock and roll, right? The entertainer that he was. Did you know that Elvis only had three Grammy records? Think about that. That Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, who many people regard as the inventor of rock and roll, right? The, the guy who revolutionized music in America. He only had three Grammy records, which if you're in the music industry, that's the pinnacle. If you can get a Grammy, right? Even if you had one, great. Elvis had three, so cool, right? You want to know what those three Grammy records were for? They were for his gospel records. They, none of his, his Grammys came from anything else other than his gospel records. Isn't that funny? Isn't that just, just a little weird, right? Like that the king of rock and roll, his Grammys are for his gospel records. One of my favorite songs by Elvis is How Great They Are, his rendition of that. And that's one of the songs that he received a Grammy for. But the song that gives the glory to the Lord is the song that is recognized in Elvis' career. I find that fascinating when we think about having the right perspective of God. That we can do everything in this world. We can have every, every accomplishment. We can have every accolade. But yet it's only when we honor and glorify God that we get the Grammy. Amen. I think that's powerful to think about. Can we talk about the greatness of God, the righteousness of God for a minute? You see, this is so important for us to understand this morning, is that the Israelite people came before the Lord their God in repentance. And as they prayed, they put themselves before really the righteousness of God. And for us this morning, this is where, this is where we need to come before the Lord and be honest. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Why does, why does Paul say that in Romans? Why does Paul say that in Romans? Paul says that in Romans because he, because he understands that man is sinful and that God is righteous. In fact, many of you are familiar with the verse in Romans chapter 1 verse 6, 16 where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love, everybody probably can quote that, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But then Paul goes on to say in verse 17, for in the gospel, a righteousness of God, the righteousness of God is revealed, 
a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You see, this is the Israelites' problem. This is our problem. Because of our sin, we have distorted, we have marred, we have tainted the glory of God. We have distorted, we have tainted, we have marred the righteousness of God. And our sin prevents us from looking to Jesus and looking to God and seeing his full glory because of our sin. But yet the Bible says here that through Jesus Christ and through faith in Jesus Christ, that righteousness of God, which we have tainted, is now restored. And the glory of God is revealed through Jesus. And so this morning, as we think about remembering, as we think about confession, as we think about repentance, really for us, for the Israelites, for us today, that's where it's at. What have we done as a people to distort God's glory? And then what are we going to do as a people to return the glory back to God? And, Jesus said, and God says, it's by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the Bible says that he took the penalty for our sin so that we could know the Lord. And so in a sense, as the Israelites are coming before the Lord here in Nehemiah chapter 9, by faith, they are doing what God required for worship. And this morning, God is calling each one of us by faith to do what God requires for worship. And that's to love his son and to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Are you in a place this morning where, where you have to stop and think about your previous life as a Christian, as a follower of God, follower of God? Are you in a place this morning where you have to remember what it was like to serve the Lord with all of your heart? Jesus is saying to you, remember and repent, turn back, follow after me, love me with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. Or maybe you're in a place where you've never come to accept the offer of grace that's given by Jesus Christ. God is calling us to love him and to serve him and it's through Jesus Christ we can do that. And so maybe today is a day where faith is begun in some of you or faith is renewed in some of you. In a moment, we're going to have communion, which for a, for a church is all about remembering, right? We remember, do this in remembrance of me. And we will break the bread, we will drink the wine in remembrance of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so my prayer this morning is that as we do so, we would remember and we would cling to what God has called each one of us to do.